So we have this new dimension. It's not the government. It's not the private enterprise. It's just money. It's public money that we can all use and gain access to using nothing more than our internet connection. Eventually, crypto is going to seep into the pores of whatever of every country out there. I think I recently saw that Noons, it's a peer-to-peer payment platform. I just recently interviewed the owner of it, Ray Youssef. He just posted that I think China is now at some of the highest levels of peer-to-peer trading. Hi, everyone. So today I have an esteemed guest. Can you introduce yourself? Yes, my name is Frank Corva. I'm super happy to be here. I've just started, you know, I, I run my own podcast, but I've just started being guests on a few other podcasts. So it's an honor. Thank you for thinking of me. Some background on myself, my day job, or I predominantly work for an Australian company called Finder. I do a lot of uh, creating or writing articles and creating educational resources about Bitcoin and other digital assets, other crypto assets. Um, I also write for Bitcoin Magazine, for Coindesk, and um, I have my own YouTube channel and podcast, as I mentioned, called New Renaissance Capital. Um, And the premise of that is the last renaissance was preceded by the advent of double entry bookkeeping, which allowed for uh, better financial services and allowed for ownership, the same way that I think Bitcoin and crypto allows for ownership for people to actually own something. Um, And I think that that will precede a renaissance of artistic flourishing and people creating things and putting them out into the world. But back in the day, the renaissance was bound to Northern Italy, right, and Europe. Now we have a global renaissance and it's happening online. And this conversation is a testament to that. I'm here with a creator from Indonesia today, which is incredible to me. I don't take that for granted or take that lightly. Perfect. And uh, yeah, the technology have facilitated a lot. So uh, do you think like we see a lot of like the creator scenes obviously growing in multitude of ways, but also like we can see that the, the way creators are being compensated, like maybe... Uh, 10 years ago, creators were mostly like for fun, but now it's becoming like almost like even businesses, actual businesses running off of uh, content and education. So you think how does the technology help, like especially like the Bitcoin and the crypto technology, how can it help uh, creators build communities and also like basically make, make a living out of content? Yeah, that's a great, it's a great question. I'm still figuring that out as an independent creator myself, aside from, like I said, I have a job in the industry, but I'm trying to focus more on my own creative efforts. Obviously, your listeners for what you do can can pay you if they want to pay you, you know, in whatever crypto asset they choose, stablecoin, Bitcoin, other crypto assets for the work that you're creating, for the value that you're providing them. I think the model that I've seen on Noster, so Noster is a decentralized protocol, like a social media protocol. And through that, you can zap people Bitcoin over the Lightning Network. And what people call that exchange is value for value. So you're creating on this decentralized network. Maybe you're giving certain tips on how to, I don't know, like uh, how to use a certain crypto wallet. And people find value in that so that they can then pay you immediately. And what's amazing about that is that the fees are very low, obviously, depending on which crypto asset you're using, but you're, there's no middle person involved. You have this peer-to-peer transaction, and it's people simply saying, look, I appreciate what you're creating, and I want to pay you for that. So I think putting work out there on whatever platform you decide to put it on, it can be something like Noster. I haven't used FriendTech yet. It's, I think that's another sort of decentralized social media program. I don't know enough about it. But using these sorts of platforms as a place to create content and also to exchange, to receive and and put value out there into the world, I think that's really important. And another thing, something that I do with my podcast, 
I'm very clear. I just tell people, look, I'll give you a, uh, you know, a thousand sets or 2000 sets. If you subscribe to this podcast or share this thing. And, and I try to kind of have that, not just necessarily be trying to bring money in for myself, but give money out there to say to people, look, you know, thank you for your efforts. Thank you for your support. Let's try to spread the word a little bit. And I'm happy to pay you for that. So essentially you're creating what we would call here, like a street team, people who are out there helping to promote your work. And it's much easier to do that when you can pay them with a net, with an asset, with crypto assets, where you can make those payments instantaneously and at very low fees. So you think also this can uh, can help out, like especially for example, when we talk about crypto, like a lot of countries, like uh, obviously most of the world is, is legal and uh, is uh, allowed, but uh, some countries which has the issues that crypto solves, uh, some of them are resistant to crypto. So they would maybe, these crypto payments can allow people to overcome like high fees and also like overcome censorship itself like to yep. uh, as they build their community and build their ecosystem for their content so yep. so have you had any experiences on, on this or like have like any secondhand experiences from someone that you know that had these experiences or like any idea about the, how this can actually have an impact on the content building or a content ecosystem yeah this is one of my favorite questions actually and this is what i'm primarily focused on when I interview people for my podcast, because uh, I primarily interview people from Africa, Latin America, and Southeast Asia. Um, I've lived in different parts of Africa. I've lived in Latin America. And the first thing that comes to mind when you ask that question is when I lived in Venezuela, I had a bank card and I could not use that bank card to withdraw either dollars or the local currency, Bolivares. So I was cut off from the global financial system. But when I speak with Venezuelans online and I send them money instantly, for me, I predominantly use Bitcoin when I do that. You're bypassing the restrictions of the traditional financial system. And for me, living in, I'm from New York City, you know, things are, things here are relatively easy to use. We have apps like Ven, you know, we have old traditional finance apps like Venmo, PayPal, we have, we can very easily gain access to a brokerage or some way to sort of invest our money. Um, but I know that these things are not necessarily available to everybody around the world. So as, this is where I think crypto is an amazing, amazing invention. So to get to your point, though, it's an amazing thing because, yes, you can create something, you can get paid instantly, and the playing field is sort of leveled. I think it's also, it's excellent if you are a creator in a country where you know, getting maybe, I don't know, for me, like I said, I think in Bitcoin a lot, maybe 10,000 sats, those 10,000 sats will go, they will do a lot more for you in Venezuela than they will for you in New York City, right, where things are cheaper, not for good reason. Obviously, there's political issues in some of these countries that are terrible. But what it does is it also withdraws power from what the government can and can't allow people to do. So one of the best ways I ever heard of the concept of crypto put Someone said it's the first time in the history of humanity that we have a tool that's more powerful in the hands of an individual than it is in the hands of an institution. So we have this new dimension. It's not the government. It's not the private enterprise. It's just money. It's public money that we can all use and gain access to using nothing more than our internet connection. So I think that it allows us to bypass restrictions, especially in places where you have authoritarian leaders and governments who don't like crypto. Eventually, crypto is going to seep into the pores of whatever of, of every country out there. I think I recently saw that Noons, which is, uh, or Noons, it's a peer-to-peer -peer payment platform. I just recently interviewed the owner of it, Ray Youssef. I really, I, I think Ray is great. He used to run the exchange Paxful. He just posted that I think China is now one of the highest, you know, is, has some of the highest levels of peer-to-peer -peer trading. 
So you have the, obviously the Chinese Communist Party does not like crypto, Bitcoin, anything of this nature. Um, but you have people now able to bypass that using a peer-to-peer -peer service. Um, and if you're a content creator or if you have some sort of maybe software programming skills, whatever it is that you can offer and provide online where it doesn't have to be physically delivered, you can do that and take payment for it in crypto. Um, and one of one of the people I'm closest with or I've spoken with frequently in, in Africa is his name is Cal Casa. He's in Ethiopia and he does a lot of work with freelancers, helping them um, to build websites and to get there to expose their talents online and to then accept payments in Bitcoin for those for what they do stable coins maybe or whatever else they want to accept it in but um that's the i think that's the whole idea here is that the internet levels the playing field in terms of us being able to put our skills out there and then now crypto becomes the peer-to-peer -peer payment method that people can use despite what their government says they can or can't do perfect so uh, do you think also that uh, as you mentioned like examinosa and all this uh, trading platforms as well do you think that this this is the direction that like from your discussions with all these people do you think that the direction would be more uh, into the centralized approach or decentralized approach? Would it be like uh, more like I'm not talking about like obviously it's never going to be in the crypto system or at least doesn't seem to be possible that it will be the same as the old financial system or just like one entity basically issuing dollars. It will be yeah. like more that like we have many entities, but do you think it's going to tend towards uh, these uh, central hubs where people trade and uh, exchange a value, like uh, either content and money and all this, or is it going to be uh, more decentralized like Noster? Like for example, it's going to be much more decentralized. So what I, which direction do you think is going? That's a great question. And if I had more technical ability, I would be able to answer it better. My thoughts are it will be a mix of both for a while. So there will be some people who are more comfortable using something that's far more centralized like Coinbase. And then there will be people who are using, you know, more more into using something like uh, Noons or using a Dex, you know, through a DeFi app or something like that. And I think you're, it'll just be sort of what people's needs are. Maybe they don't have access to a centralized exchange, so they have no other option but to use a peer-to-peer -peer exchange. That might be part of it. Or I think for a lot of people by me, their default is not going to be to use something like Noons because there's other exchanges that are much easier to use. So I think it'll come down to usability, how easy it is to use, what people ha actually have access to. And then I think one of the big variables that people need to consider is uh, know your customer AML laws. I, I understand why those laws exist, but I'm not a big fan of them, especially for people like activists, people who use crypto as their bank account, because maybe their government has debanked them. Um, to, for, when those people have to put their information online, it actually puts a target on them for their government. I, I work with an organization called the Open Dialogue Foundation, and they, they're arguing now, like, look, we really have to be careful about what information gets put online for what people. So that's a little bit off the topic, but I think that it's important to consider AML, KYC, or certain, like a Blink wallet. Uh, Blink only requires that you use your telephone number or an email address. That's a minimal amount of KYC. Someone might be comfortable with that. And with Blink Wallet, you could hold Bitcoin. You could also turn it into st stable sats, which is like a, a synthesized, a, a, I'm sorry, a synthetic US dollar. So people might say, okay, this is all I need. Maybe I just want like a stable coin and Bitcoin. So, and I don't want to do a lot of KYC. So I'm just going to use this. But then someone else might say, well, 
I don't just want Bitcoin. I want stable coins. I want some Ethereum. I want some Tron or whatever other cryptocurrency you want to talk about. So maybe something like Nons is better for them because now they can trade those different things amongst people. And then in terms of social media, I think Noster is interesting. As I said, I don't really know about FriendTech and some of the other decentralized social media platforms, but they're not very usable compared to using like Twitter or Instagram. So I think that people will use what they feel most comfortable using and what they are, you know, what they can access. But if Twitter tends to be sort of or X now, if that tends to be easier to use than Noster or something like that, then I think most people are just going to use that. So I think that crypto is a really interesting thing. But it'll become more interesting when the complexity of it fades to the background and when the user interface gets a little bit better and easier for people to use. The thing is, like, also, uh, as you mentioned, like KYC, the funny thing about it is that I heard like a lot of the, like, they have something, I think, in the US called Entity List, which a lot of companies use. So the funny thing about it is that uh, literally, like, I saw a lot of cases about this, especially with North Korea. They just change their name slightly when they apply for services and then they just go through. And the real people uh, get get punished, like they're just the ordinary people get punished just because maybe uh, name similarities or any, or, or even just the process itself. Like you have to provide these IDs, maybe someone who is unbanked because they don't have an ID or for any variety yep. of reasons, especially countries which have turmoil. So it's this unfortunate situation. Hopefully, to correct it and also because there's a public ledger the good thing about it if someone is actually doing actual crime you can retrace it back and instead of punishing everyone you can actually just punish whoever is uh, is doing something that's harmful to the society so hopefully uh crypto can even out the playing field and like basically makes it uh, much more easy for the unbanked and uh, help them out this episode is sponsored by degree sign CoinExam's platform was purpose-built by DegreeSign to be one of the best-performing platforms in the crypto space. DegreeSign is an agency developing web products with a long experience of building products from scratch for maximum performance and stability. Start today. Just email make at DegreeSign.com. How about for the, going back to the education and the contents, what gaps do you see in the education? Because it's not only about the, the systems being easier to be used, but also for the people to have the underlining principle of understanding of how to use, like for example, with money, with fiat money, normally people would know how to tell if this is a fake note or no, at least at the basic level. So do you think with the crypto, we have a lot of things like seed phrases and all this uh, privacy yeah. and all these complexities. Do you think there's like a way to uh, demystify all this for the average user? As of right now, I want to say no. And I know that that might not sound so inspiring, but I think that I do believe in the idea of sort of not your keys, not your coins, meaning you have to actually own the seed, you know, have your 12 to 24 words for the wallet that you're using to actually have access to the asset or assets on the blockchain. I don't, I'm not against custodial solutions, meaning like if you want to use a wallet like Wallet of Satoshi, or if you want to leave some of your coins on an exchange, I don't think it's the worst idea in the world for if you're new and maybe you don't have a big investment. But once you get to a point where you have an investment that you'd be very upset about if you lost, like, you know, whatever it is, whatever that amount of money is for you, I think it's essential that you do learn how to self-custody these assets. I think that in the future, I imagine it will get easier. That is my thought. 
but I'm not positive about that. It's a very difficult question to answer because I don't have the technical skill to know what is possible, to know what can be created to make things easier for us. So for example, like Locke, Jack Dorsey's company, Jack Dorsey created Twitter and he he's um, he created Block, which makes the payment app Square and they you can buy and sell, I'm sorry, the payment app Cash App. They're creating a hardware wallet where Block is one, it's like a multi-sig wallet where one of the keys for it is on your phone, one of the keys is in your hands, and then one of the keys is with Block. Uh, I'm sorry, one of the keys is actually you, you use your thumbprint instead of a 12-word seed phrase. So there are other ideas coming to market now that I think will make it a little bit easier for people. I think what tends to happen is that there are some of the easier solutions right now are good for people, like I said, who don't have a lot of money or a lot invested, who maybe just have like, you know, a certain amount of money that they want to proactively use. But I think the more you get into this world, it's inevitable that you're going to want to make your security set up better and better. So you're going to want to invest more in how you're protecting your assets and how you're not only writing down your seed phrase, but if you're storing it on metal versus paper and things like that. Could it get better? Definitely. I'm sure it could get better. But I think right now there's a certain amount of education that's just necessary. Um, and this is where I'll, I'll sort of, <laughs> to everyone listening, you know, you know, this gentleman who's recording me here, who's having me on as a guest, he's doing the work to try to sort of educate you, even if it's just allowing people to tell their stories and everything. So if he does help you set up a wallet or do something else, obviously feel free to pay him a little bit of money to help him do this. And I think a lot of people don't think like this because they're like, well, you know how to do it. So show me. And that's fine if you want to do that. But learning how to manage crypto really becomes a skill. Once you learn how to do it and you can teach other people, I'm not saying you have to charge people for it, but if people did want to pay you for that to, to help them, I think that's a totally legitimate thing to do. It takes a lot of time to really wrap your head around this space and how to engage with it and how to engage with it safely. So I think that, you know, to me, it could easily be a job showing people how to, uh, you know, how to secure their crypto. Um, for now, there aren't many super easy solutions. In the future, there might be. But, you know, for the time being, I would say there's just a certain amount of education that's just required if somebody really wants to invest a significant amount of money in this space. So the thing in the space, what is the gap that actually that's most crucial because there are some videos about like how for example to save your seed phrase and stuff like that but yeah. what is the gap is the gap like for example uh because a lot of people whenever you talk to them oh it's, it's very complex like a lot of my, my friends they want to enter into the, uh, the crypto space but they, they think it's too complicated it's yeah why, why do i have to learn a lot a lot of things like that even <laughs> even if like maybe uh, so maybe i think like what you mentioned like the wallet of satoshi and all these things maybe it can help but they still, they don't un understand the underlining principles. So maybe it's yes. So what do you think that we should do as like content creators? What do we have to focus on in general? This is a great question. I'm going to answer this from two different perspectives. One from my former life. So before I did this, I was I was a teacher and a college professor for 12 years. Not everyone is going to learn everything you're teaching. So to answer your question. Don't expect everybody to learn and to do what you want them to do. And I know that that might sound like defeatist or something, but not everybody wants to think about managing their money this much. For those people, they either just won't invest or maybe they'll do something through a traditional route where whatever they buy, if it's a stock or whatever, now you could buy a Bitcoin ETF in the United States, that money will just be custodied by them by a, by a financial third party. That's not what I recommend for people to do, because to me, that's not the purpose of crypto. It's to actually own your assets and use those assets. So to answer your question, it's just simply, I've tried to teach a lot of people. There's a lot of people who just don't really want to learn and they don't want to come around. I think the second thing that I've learned is that 
both doing something new that makes you feel uncomfortable can be very, very emotionally triggering for people. And then money is very emotionally triggering for people, the concept of money. So the, I think the issue is part education-based cognitive, meaning like intellectual, can I actually use a wallet? Can I do this? But the bigger factor that I don't think a lot of people discuss is the fact that a lot of this is emotional, meaning it's people, if they think I'm not a technical person, I can't do this. You have to sort of get them to a point. Like for me, I'm not, I'm not a very technical person. I had to, I tell people, look, I didn't think I could do this either, but I forced myself to get uncomfortable to learn. It was easier than I thought once I actually learned, but that emotional hurdle is a really, really difficult thing to do. Like when I was a teacher, students would tell me all the time, oh, no, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm just not good at that. And I would say the, the problem here is not if you can or can't do this, it's whether you think you can or cannot, you can't do this. And I think with crypto, that's most of it. If they think they're not a technical person, if they think they're going to mess up, if they're emotionally too scared to do it, all of these things are very, very like human variables that are very, very difficult to break through. So I think a lot of it is like, if you're in your position, you might think, look, I'm putting out the best possible information. I'm trying to make it as easy as possible for people. But it's not always the fact that it's easy or that you're doing it in a comprehensible way. It's something going on within them that's making them feel that this is not the right route for them to take. Interesting. So, yeah, I think I never thought of it this way uh, uh, because maybe I'm a technical background, so it's good to have okay. a different perspective. <laughs> so maybe whenever I talk to my friends, they know I'm a technical person. So they will think maybe, oh, you understand it because it's technical. But for us, it's, it doesn't make sense. So, yeah. So I think, yeah, this, this is a good way to approach it. Like, we don't have to actually think of it uh, technically because even the money itself, like when you use the bank app, the traditional bank app or financial app, you don't have to understand how it works as long yes. as you, you understand the concept, like where is this uh, money issue being issued, that's it, uh, or yep. how to transfer it, that's the all you need to know. So uh, yeah, I think it's, it's good to start, yeah. Could I add one thing to that? Something I recently learned, um, one of my favorite organizations is a program run out of Kenya, and it's only for African women. It's called Bitcoin Dada, and it teaches African women how to use Bitcoin. And a lot of these women, um, some of them may not have really engaged with a lot of traditional financial services. And I, I teach in that program a little bit too. The program's founder, Lorraine Marcel, is amazing. And the education is one component but then continued mentorship, basically allowing people to ask questions, say, oh, I made a mistake. Could I ask you a question about this? So my suggestion to you, if you are teaching people, maybe if maybe you teach maybe two or three people who get it, and then maybe people keep coming to you saying, but I want to learn about, maybe try to have those people who you've taught say, hey, could you do me a favor and try to teach someone else and, and maybe answer their questions if they need it. That's what I do now. Any of the people who I've sat down and taught because the way it works is there, there's only one of me and I already have multiple jobs. So it's hard for me to take calls from everyone to say, how do I set up a wallet? How do I do this? How do I do that? I usually call someone that I know already and say, hey, look, could you do me a favor? A friend of mine wants to learn this. I sat down and took the time to teach you. If you wouldn't mind, please do the same for them and maybe answer one or two follow-up questions if they have an issue. Because I think once people get the hang of it, they're good. They, they get it and they're sort of good, but it's like, it's learning it the first time and then trying it the second time and the third time. And sometimes people have just asked me to sit next to them while they do it. Like, oh, I want to transfer my money from this crypto exchange to a wallet. Could you just sit with me and tell me if I do anything wrong while I do it? Sometimes it's the moral support and it's just that easy. The problem is there's only one of you. And like you said, if you're building a community, maybe some of the people in the community can help each other. And that's a lot of what I see in Kenya with these African women. 
Uh, the women are from all over the continent, but the program is based in Kenya. So I think mentorship and that sort of uh, emotional support and just being there for other people who are learning is another factor that doesn't really get talked about a lot. Thank you, Frank. That That's honestly is, is very excellent idea. It's like all actually ideas that seem simple enough, but actually uh, very profound if, if implemented correctly. So yeah, thank you for all the, like, these ideas and insight into also like how to build communities and how to improve it like and transfer this idea that maybe looks technical into a very digestible form. So where can people go to find you? Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty active on X, which used to be called Twitter. You can get me at, at Frank, F-R-A-N-K-C-O-R-V as in Victor A. So at Frank Corva, or you can do at New Ren Cap, N-E-W-R-E-N-C-A-P. Um, and that's short for New Renaissance Capital. That's my YouTube channel. So you can Google New Renaissance Capital. You could find me, Frank Corva, on LinkedIn. Um, I'm on Noster under New Renaissance Capital. I don't know what the NPUB is. But yeah, if you could, I mean, if you listen to podcasts, wherever it is, and if you want to hear stories from how people, um, I, I focus specifically on Bitcoin because I think of Bitcoin specifically as a replacement for money, like the traditional form of money. I think crypto assets play different roles. So I'm focused on Bitcoin. Um, I don't think of myself as a Bitcoin maximalist, though, because I do see what the value for some of these other technologies are. So what I try to do is just simply share people's stories and voices, people who are trying to teach other people or creating new technologies, um, and to try to share their voices and to give them a platform, mostly because I'm fascinated with what they're doing. So if that sounds interesting to you and you want to hear more about that, please check out the podcast. And while you're at it, before I forget, if you're listening to this podcast or watching it on YouTube right now, hit the like and subscribe button. Help my man out right here. Leave a comment. Help this uh, episode get some traction. So thank you so, thank much. You so much. for Yeah, thank you for having me on. And I appreciate the uh, your sharing your platform with me. Sure thing. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Yeah.